and now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week, as usual, and say, OK, it's a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Revell. This week's show, we're looking back on Pukukoi. It's certainly an interesting one and having a chat with Shane Van Gisbergen talking about his success there. Yet again, New Zealanders Scotty McLaughlin and Shane took out the wins. Not only will Shane be talking on today's show, but Craig Ravel, you were able to get a great conversation with Kevin Fitzsimmons talking about his history in motorsport. Long-time servant in supercars, not only in the uh, Dunlop business, but also before that with Bridgestone. Fascinating time and fascinating interview with a man who's long, steep history in motorsport. It was great to speak to Kevin. There's some people you just really enjoy talking to when you're at the racetrack and getting their perspective of the world, and Kevin is definitely one of them. And uh, what an interesting weekend Kevin and everyone in supercars had across the weekend. Shane's fascinating to hear from, and we'll also have a a few words from David Reynolds, who signed a 10-year contract and, uh, well, he announced it at Pukekohe last weekend, so that's also coming up in the show today. Pukekohe was a, certainly an interesting Sunday, but uh, the overall uh, spectrum from the weekend, Craig, it was just interesting to see more New Zealand winners. They have been, Scotty and Shane and uh, even Fabian at times have been doing some winning over there. Just great to see, taking up the mantle that Greg Murphy first established all those years ago. Wonderful racing, um, unfortunate uh, debacle on Sunday, and it was a debacle, uh, not helped at all by Jamie Wincup passing the uh, safety car. Indeed, Tony, and Jamie Wincup has come out and regretting his comments following the race, which were quite colourful indeed. Cams have asked for a please explain, and perhaps the statement that he released later in the piece will in some way mitigate any uh, inquiry or any questions there? Um, that's all going to play out still. But the, the bottom line on the weekend was that Scotty McLaughlin set a new benchmark for wins in a season. Uh, it's interesting this year because um, there aren't going to be as many races next year, only 28. This year already, now Scotty has won 17 of the races of the 20 races. So that's a whole new benchmark, and he has a 598-point lead. In other words, he could almost drop two rounds and still win the championship in Newcastle. But we certainly hope that's not going to happen. And uh, if ever a man was cherry ripe for a Bathurst win in his career, this is certainly it. An interesting day. We got to speak to Shane Van Gisbergen short time ago, got his thoughts on uh, New Zealand and uh, how he went. He also on the, the ZB and getting ready for Bathurst and their test prior to, uh, I think it's this week, maybe uh, maybe next week. But anyway, they uh, will be testing the ZB, getting ready for Bathurst, uh, which is in three weeks' time, I believe. So um, first up, after the break, we'll have Shane Van Gisbergen. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske. And you're on Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. It's uh, Shane Van Gisman, fresh back from New Zealand. It's wonderful uh, to have you, Shane, on the show again. It's been a while. Great weekend in uh, Pukekohe. Yep, yep, spot on there. Thanks for having me. It's uh, fascinating the way you and uh, Scotty have always seemed to have done so very well over there. Both posted your first wins in supercars there, you and Hamilton those years ago, and of course, Scotty a couple of years back in GRM car. Home crowd makes something, doesn't it? Yep, yeah, you're right. That's, um, yeah, it's cool. Cool place, that's for sure. You must be very excited heading to Bathurst with the ZB package, because obviously, it, you know, you're feeling something different about the car. I, to be honest, I don't really know. Um, the track, it's so hard with, with no testing, and then getting these new bits, you know, the few days before, um, before a weekend, you know, so we have a test next week. Uh, again, QR, not a fast enough track to get a feeling. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough one not knowing. It, you, you, could you feel any sort of difference? I mean, obviously you, you were there last year, but there was nothing you could see in any data that showed up at all? Yeah, yeah, more, more understeer and slower down the straight. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which aren't the things that necessarily make you go faster. Well, it had, had more downforce, um, but but the balance was not very good. So yeah, it's um, it's um, we needed more downforce, I think, to match uh, the forwards. But um, it probably wasn't the way we would have done it or liked to have done it. But you know, I right. think we were we were definitely lacking to the forwards. But even even so, I think Scotty's doing a a better job than everyone and and his team, um, particularly on that 17 car. So. You know, we still need to bridge the gap in performance and driving for Scotty, but definitely um, we, we still lack downforce to, the, to them. One of the things, Shane, is you've been quite uh, quite vocal about saying what we really need is to lose a lot of downforce across the cars, extend the yeah. braking zones and, and make them a real driver, make it a real driver's category, not an engineer's category. Um, well, yeah, the racing has not got any better. The cars have gotten faster, but the racing suffered for it. I remember in 2013, and you know, even in the old, like um, pre-cough, and then even at the start of cough, the cars had much less aero, and you could follow much closer, and the racing was much better. Um, and obviously, time moves on; it's race cars, it's evolution, and you get faster. But definitely, I don't feel the racing's got better. I think it suffered, suffered for it. You know, everyone's everyone's got greedy and and pushing the boundaries, but um, you know, really, the category needs to step in, do it properly get rid of all these, you know, all the question marks around everything and, and make the racing good. It was a magic lap you did on the Saturday, Shane. I, I think it was the fastest lap of the weekend, was it, in qualifying? Uh, it was on Saturday. I don't know what, what the time was on Sunday, but, yeah, we, we lacked a bit on the Sunday there and couldn't quite 
match our performance. I think everyone got a bit better and we sort of went sideways. So, uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't help us on Sunday. You've been known for, for being a very good qualifier for many years. Did that lap take anything? Did you have to really commit more than you normally would to get that? <laughs> I'd say qualifying's my weakness, but thanks for Well, that. okay, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah okay. The uh, car was pretty good, so yeah, that, that certainly helped. But yeah, just having confidence around that track. Every time I've been there, if the car gives you confidence, you, you go quick. Had it been discussed the uh, the problem of uh, safety cars at Pukekohe? I mean, we've had them in the past. Um, it probably I'm, not a... I'm not touching the subject. Okay. <laughs> I'm not touching the subject. Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I know it, it's a it's a political thing, and I understand yeah. exactly why. Um, yeah. It's very sad to see, you know, not anybody's race being stuffed up, regardless of who it is. That when a, you know, a competitor is in a strong position and he suffers because something has occurred that's outside of his control, and and that's you know, whatever it be, and you know, whether it was yours last year with wheel spinning or whatever it is, it's always sad to see a competitor handicapped in that way. Um, the uh, uh, question of next year is a really interesting one because. Um, it's the change to the 200 k's on every day when you're not doing an endurance oh, yeah. race with a partner. What, Are you excited you by that prospect of, of longer races on the Saturday and the Sunday? What's that for? For next year? Next year, yeah. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I haven't thought about next year yet, but definitely the longer races for me are... Uh, probably provide better racing, yeah. So, well, um, yeah, the Sunday races are, are normally pretty good compared to Saturday, I feel. Your, your shortest race next year is the 200k. Oh no, the hundreds at the Grand Prix. There's four of them, but the other ones are all 200k races. Uh, and, and I think that's fantastic move. I, I think it's a, a wonderful long time coming. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, which yeah. brings me on to the uh, Enduro Cup. Um, you've had some terrific uh, partners over quite some years, um, but you must be excited because Garth is so experienced and, you know, a two-time winner, or three-time winner, is he? Three-time winner. Um, so experienced. And, and, you know, when you've got someone like that beside you, it just must make you feel that little bit better. Yeah, well, but it's all, all preparation. Um, yeah, certainly for Garth having his experience, especially with Bathurst being the first race, um, you know, we can't take anything for granted, but certainly the prep we're putting in, the work we've put in all year trying to make Garth feel at home and the team and learn the way trip eight works. Um, and then, yeah, first race um, is the biggest one of the year. So hopefully hit the ground running and, and when he turns up, he'll he'll be ready to go. Shane, when you have had a year like this year and there's been such a difference between uh, the couple of cars... How how does that affect your weekend and your preparation for the weekend, knowing that you're already at a at a disadvantage, if you like? Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, that's that's a hard hard mindset um, for me, or certainly the team. Earlier in the year, our goal was to just be the top top holding team, you know, and, and we had some really strong competition, especially from from uh, uh, Airbus. Um, that's a, some good drive, good drives. They got great drivers, and their cars are pretty good sometimes. So, well, it was a tough challenge. But then, of course, when you become top holding team, you strive for more, and that's when we kept trying to do stupid stuff with the cars and 
stuck out of it that wasn't achievable. And then you start making mistakes and, and looking silly and going backwards. So, yeah, it's been hard to um, adjust the mindset, I, I, I guess. But, um, you know, I'm always flat out every time I get in the car. So always hopefully trying to get the most out of it. But you were in a period there where you were dialing yourselves out of the game, weren't you? Oh, you know, Melbourne Grand Prix, man. My car felt amazing. Like, the best car I've had at Melbourne Grand Prix. Everyone was going on about the single screens and how much that was affecting, but I, I qualified 1.1 seconds off the pace, and it was one of the best laps I've ever done. You know, that was, that was how bad the start of the year was. Do you notice the difference between the, the multi-springs and the single springs? Or yeah, of course. You know, I, I think as well, often into our Phillip Island test, we struggled, and you know that was just getting a balance. But we never ran really. I, I never liked myself twin springs in the front, but we did run them in the rear. Um, and yeah, it took a little bit to adjust, just uh, um, what you wanted from the car and how to achieve it. But in the end of the day, you, you just made it work with the roll bars and stuff, doing the same thing. So um, yeah, from Melbourne Grand Prix onwards, our cars felt felt pretty good. And is 2019 all about the Pertec Cup now? Um, I don't know. I never, I never think about that. Like the year's not over until it's over. But um, you know, I take every round as it comes and prepare for it as a as a single round. So yeah, um, for me, it's the next one's Bathurst. But before that, we've got a test and a lot of stuff to try in preparation um, before Bathurst comes around. So with more going on with Triple Eight in in the Asian series and with the GT, yeah. so you're going to be uh, doing a bit more bit more racing for Triple Eight, maybe in a different type of car? Uh, yeah, I've got one more race uh, over there. I've done two or three so far. Um, I'm off to China next week, which should be pretty cool. Um, never never been there. And then next year, I think it's hopefully confirmed that we'll do the same again. So, yeah, hopefully go do some fun races in a Merc. Shane, had... Uh there been ever a discussion about a Super 5000? They make their debut this weekend. No, nah, no way. It, you wouldn't. You would. I would have thought you'd want to jump in one of them. No way. Oh. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> They're like a coffin on wheels. Sorry. Coffin on wheels. No thanks. Oh, okay. All right, that's fine. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, is going to be interesting for next year is uh, a track that I imagine you like is is the uh, the bend is going to be a 500k race. That would be pretty exciting for you, I imagine. Well, yes and no. The racing was was pretty average there this year. Uh, but the the track's awesome and the events awesome. People are awesome. Um, so hopefully we can make it a bit better there. So um, I'm thinking they're having a separate tyre test to hopefully. See if the soft tyre can work, um, because with the racing, you got within a second of someone and your tyres started overheating, so you couldn't yeah. pass. So it definitely needs a bit of a format tweak and, uh, and something to make the racing exciting, because it was, well, uh, it was it, the worst race of the year for that. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, it's certainly been mooted that um, the format for next year will mean that the cars are going to have less aero, which would be a large part of that equation. I hope so, yep, yep. There is a bit of an irony, isn't there? The cars you're racing are so good at places like um, Perth and, and Simmons Plains, and there's always good races there. You get onto those Grand Prix tracks, and we've got a legacy of them at Shanghai, it's, uh, over, in, over in the States at Circuit of the Americas, even the Grand Prix track here in Australia, 
and uh, and now tail and bend, and the racing is a bit flat. Well, yes and no. I remember some awesome racing at Bahrain, even up at Derby at its time. Um, Melbourne can be good sometimes when we have pit stops and strategy. It's quite an easy place to pass, but we haven't had that the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's the type of track. You know, tracks now are designed to be safe and open and, and flowing, less risk, which is cool. I'm all for that, but certainly the older circuits, which are much more technical and harder to get right, you've got to hang on to the car a bit more. They 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 make mistakes and, and make the racing better. So, yeah, for me as well, I think we need to not forget those tracks and you know keep going back to them. You mentioned your testing this week. Obviously, Gus coming up for it and... Uh, um, Jamie will be there with Craig. Um, you must be tremendously excited. You and Gus, um, you you drive the car similarly. You, do you know that already? Uh, yeah, it seems to be. Um, I think it's a change for him to be um, a co-driver because he is very technically minded. So having to um, you know just comment on the car and, and try and adapt rather than develop it to himself. You know, he's got to sort of. Um, you know, adjust and drive from my setup. It probably takes a little bit of getting used to, but he's he's done pretty well at that so far and um just trying to drive it and learn the way I drive and the way I work as well. So but that goes both ways. I I'd be stupid not to lean on his experience, particularly at Bathurst, and try and just uh work together very closely. One of the things that Craig and I have both seen was Garth. I mean, I've known him since Formula Ford days. I actually remember him the year after he'd won the championship and he was a mechanic on a stealth for somebody else. He wasn't a happy man. But the one thing in recent times seeing Garth is he's so much more relaxed this year than any of the last few years. Um, you know, fierce competitor. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, I imagine, a shock for you as much uh, when uh, he lost his drive with uh, Gary Rogers. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've passed as, as a mate the last few years. He's, um, he's always awesome at the track and awesome to get along with and have a beer with as well. And certainly for me, I think it was a shock, shock to see him um, lose his drive. And I was pretty conflicted because it was good to see my friend Richie get a second chance as well. But yes. certainly Garth had a few more years left in him. So, yeah, that was a tough moment. But, yeah, having Garth um, come aboard when Roland rang me with that one early in the year, it was, uh, yeah, it was a big, big surprise. But I'm glad he, he came to our car. Just thinking of uh, Richie Stanaway, um, did you speak to him after the weekend or during the weekend? Yep. yep. And, and how was he? I, I haven't spoken to him. I, I don't know ever since he's come back sort of thing. Yeah, he's all good. He's all good. Always great to hear. Great to hear because, I mean, you and I, you know better than me that he's far better than he'd been able to show early this year. Yeah, well, I think I rate um, James Golding pretty highly and, and he's, you know, he's had a few rounds out and he came back at Tail and Bend and, and then on the weekend and he's doing the same pace or I think he beat him in both races. So, you know, um, he's, he's getting better and better, but certainly I think it's pretty hard to show how good he is and, the cars he's had the last couple of years. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you out at Bathurst, and we're we're hoping now that it's going to be quite a dogfight between all the cars throughout the uh, 1,000 kilometres uh, since the changes have been put in place. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be uh, a hell of a lot closer than it would be, and uh, certainly for everyone, it'll it'll be a better show. Thanks for your time, Shane. I certainly look forward to uh, reading later this week how your test goes. I'm 
I'm sure that uh, you and Gus and the rest of the Triple Eight team will uh, have a great time. Look forward to seeing you on the mountain. And uh, oh, one last thing: Have you seen the news about a wild card possibly from Team Kiwi? <laughs> yeah, I have. I thought that's a fascinating move. I mean, I, I, it'd be great for Jackson to get a drive at Bathurst. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I hope. I mean, it's going to be one of uh, your sister cars, so there's obviously the element there. All it is is if David John can get the package together so it actually works. But, uh, I mean, you must feel some pride about that brand, given that it was where you started. Um, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I was with um, Stone Brothers, though. They, they were the, really the ones who gave uh, me I know. the start. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, let, let's see if it happens. Indeed. All right, Shane. Well, thank you for your time on Inside Supercars. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and congratulations on another great weekend. We look forward to seeing you when you collect your first big trophy at the mountain. Oh, okay. Cheers, guys. As you would remember, we've got a series going on looking back at the, uh, the long-time championship contenders, those people who've been standing in pit lane and beyond uh, for a long time. And Kevin Fitzsimmons from Dunlop is one of those. He takes us back to his first days in motorsport. Uh, fascinating uh, chat, Craig, and certainly interesting to hear on the history of somebody who I, when I first uh, joined the series back in 94, uh, I thought he actually worked for uh, Glenn Seaton. Little did I know, he was just a great fan and helping him whenever he could. He was then with Bridgestone. But after the break, Kevin Fitzsimmons talking about his time in supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. I'm from the Cool Drive Race team and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Kevin Fitzsimmons, normally when we're talking to you we're talking about tyres and tyre changes and compounds but I thought it'd be nice to have a chat to you about where did your love of motorsport come from and how did you start getting involved in uh, a professional sense in motor racing? Um, that all started when I was a little kid actually. Um, I got an older brother that was uh, playing with speedway cars and circuit racing cars out at uh, Adelaide International Raceway and back at Rolly Park Speedway actually as well um, and then when the Speedway moved out to uh, out to Virginia sort of thing he uh, dabbled out there a bit but was, uh, he was quite successful in the um, the Bitumen Speedway size thing on the half mile track at AIR so um, and then it just sort of went from there and he was tied up with uh, um, Formula 5000s you know with uh, Terry Hooker come down from Queensland and he had a mechanical workshop and they used to use that uh, um, for, for working a base in the car at and uh, you know, three mates at Peter Finch and that was sports at Anne's and then I started doing odd jobs at, uh, at Develco where they built um, Barry Bray's Stanza and Tony Parkinson's Commodore and Finchie's Monaro, Clem Smith's Charger, uh, the XJ's Jag for McCormack, you know, and Finchie had the, the Charger, McCormack's Charger. and So it's just something that just sort of... Uh, stuck with me you know I was sort of you know 13 14 15 years of age playing with some pretty damn cool race cars now you sit back and look at it you know and um you know I took a gas axe to the Monaro body shell for Peter Finch's Monaro when I was uh, pretty young and just cut inside the lines and sat her on Simon Aram's cage and away we went sort of thing so uh, it sort of just stemmed from there and then uh, um 
you know, sort of hanging around with those things for quite some time. And then I had dabbled with the Speedway car and street stocks in Adelaide for, for quite a while and some, you know, a bit of success here with a couple of state titles and everything. And and um, it just manifested from there. And, you know, I was working at Bridgestone at the time and uh, um, the Australian Touring Car Championship was at Malala in 87 and the guy that was meant to uh, to go out there and do tyres for Peter Jeffrey Brock uh, got gastro. So um, they rang me and said, hey, look, so-and-so's crook. I can't even remember his name now. Um, and, uh, you know, you're interested in race cars. Do you want to go out there and do it? And, um, yeah, OK, no worries. I was you know, a mechanic at Bridgestone at the time. And um, it literally fell in my lap from there. And, um, you know, I did uh, did Malala and... Uh, and sand down that year, and then the the Grand Prix in Adelaide, of course, and then uh, went over to New Zealand for the Nissan Mobile Series. You know, the following year, it just sort of it just manifested from there. And then uh, in 1990, when um, Brocky went back with Larry uh, in the Commodore, and the Sierra tyres were all on their way here, sort of thing, um, we hooked up with Glenn Seaton, um, and they said needed somebody to to uh, look after the, the the Glenn side of the fence and everything, and just the, the extra workload, and it just sort of. Uh, Came knocking on my door and said, "Hey, you interested?" So, um, and I haven't looked back since. So, I haven't missed a race since Sandown 1990. Yeah. I've done every event, so which uh, is pretty crazy. Um, so it's getting up there, but yeah, it just it just literally it was as simple as that. It was no rocket science to us, no hard study, hard work. I'll give you the tip on yeah. <laughs> no school study that went with it. It was uh, um, yeah, just literally being in the right place at the right time, and it fell in my lap. So you are a motor mechanic by trade. Yeah, yeah, I'm a mechanic by trade, so don't touch the tools that often nowadays. But yeah, I had my own workshop with with um, a, a petrol station at uh, in suburban Adelaide, just up near the Grange Vineyard, which was uh, you know pretty cool in those days. Tearing cars around there, and you know people think you're a rocket scientist uh, and you know genius, giving their car back to them running roll. It's just the fact that you took it up the big steep hills and gave it a decent blowout. You know, it's uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good times actually. But uh, yeah, and then uh, the the workshop at, uh, at Bridgestone just up the road at McGill um, I opened up that they wanted to do some mechanical work so I started doing that for myself and um, yeah just manifested from there So you weren't actually in a, a management or marketing role or anything like that, you've just been asked to do tyres for one car and now you do tyres for the series it seems like quite a, a big leap and uh, quite a change of skill set yeah, it was. It's very different, you know. And uh, I remember my brother sort of saying to me, "Hey, you know, like you know, people have made a career out of doing these things when it was a, a one-off thing, and it never in my wildest dreams did I ever think it would would have led to where it did now. Is literally fitting tyres on an old gut buster machine, um, uh, the, the manual machine, not a, not an electric one." Um, you just sort of sit back now and look at some of the old photos and you, you sort of shake your head thinking like crazy times, you know. I remember one of the, the early Melbourne Grand Prix where we took on, I think, the, the first year of the control tyre with, with Bridgestone in 99 and um, we had all the tyres laid out. I thought, geez, this is a lot, you know, and now we're rocking up at race speed and he's getting ready to do, you know, over a 1,000 tyres of Bathurst and stuff and, you know, that, that stage I think we had, you know, 20 or 30 sets lined out there and you took a photo of them because I thought that looked pretty cool, you know, and, yeah, we're, we're loading, you know, multiple B-doubles to go to races now. It's it's a very, very different show to what it was uh, 30 years ago, that's for sure. So if you think about that trip to Malala, your eyes are probably, you know, like dinner plates because you're getting to go into the in a sanctum for the first for the first time since what you were with your brother working there can you think about what you were thinking walking in that first day yeah it's funny you know it's um 
you know, it was there pretty early in the morning. I remember that sort of thing. And um, I was a bit of a Brock fan growing up. I was, a, you know, probably a Holden fan growing up as such, you know. But um, uh, my dad was a big, big Brock fan. And, um, yeah, it was just one of those weird experiences. You just sort of sit back and... Um, it was just it was just quite weird the way it all sort of worked out, you know, and he, he probably didn't even know I existed. It was just one of those things, but we actually ended up becoming pretty good friends and some very, very funny stories with uh, Mr. Brock. Um, you know, we, we're actually just about to have the reunion of the 95 Mobile Round Australia trial on the um, coming up up on the Gold Coast. Uh, Reggie Shepherd's organised it for uh, for George to have a bash, and we've got pretty well the whole crew together that are still around, so uh, which is absolutely fantastic, and uh, really looking forward to catching up with Ed Ordinsky and those guys. But uh, yeah, Peter uh, uh, had plenty of fun taking the piss out of me on that one. He uh, back in back in Adelaide in the day, the the, the mayor of Adelaide or the, the god of the town was Tony Modra that played for the Adelaide Crows, and uh, he uh, Brock used to call me Tony all the time, sort of thing. And uh, yeah, we used to have a bit of fun on the radio, uh, running around the place with that sort of thing. It was um, so. Are, yeah, you, are you a Crows man? Because he was a hardcore car, uh, Collingwood man. Yeah, he was a very big Collingwood man. So yeah, I'm a Crows boy. I'm a Crows boy through and through, still to this day, and. Uh, Brock's always called me Crow Boy, so um, yeah, but you know, just just things like that. So that was I was a bit probably awestruck at the time, and and um, you know, the, the second year was was more of a challenge with, with the BMW, and we sort of and then sort of into the Sierra after that, and everything with playing with pressure relief valves and all these things, which I'd had experience with in speedway cars um, over the years, and that. So we, we sort of turned our hand to that, and I just sort of it just sort of pricked a bit of an interest that. Tyres are a bit of a black art that nobody wants to know about um, because they're such a weird thing and uh, they never do what you want them to and all that sort of stuff. So I just sort of thought I'd stick with it and um, the rest is history. And, uh, yeah, 32 years later, I'm still playing around black things. So it was one tyre man for each of the cars at that time or was it just Bridgestone did a deal with their sort of factory teams? Yeah, it was um, back in the early days. Um, it was uh, you know Mike Brett looking after uh, Peter's team. Then in '93, um, it was '93. We took on uh, the Holden Racing team at that stage, um, and things sort of ramped up from there. And that's when uh, Advantage Racing folded up, and Graham Mort Brown came on board with Bridgestone. Um, Mike Brett was gearing up, ready to to retire, sort of thing. So uh, Mike was looking after the, the Brock side of things, and Brock was at HRT at that stage, sort of thing, you know, sort of in 94 era there. And and, um, and I was looking after Glenn, um, and I was sort of spreading myself between HRT and Glenn on, in 93, which uh, wasn't ideal. It was sort of a, a fair bit, and, and Peter was doing his own thing, sort of thing. And um, But, yeah, it, it actually worked out. Uh, it worked out pretty well. And then... Uh, um, with Glenn and Alan Jones, um, had some you know some really good times there, and uh, and then when the the cigarette thing finished at the end of '95, um, and Jonesy went off and did his thing with uh, with Paul Romano and the Pack Leader team, and um, you know Glenn had his uh, single car team there for a while and things like that, and, you know win that championship in '87, still one of my fondest memories, as. Uh, you know, I even got to the point where I was, I was doing rear wheel changes sort of thing and, you know, playing in pit stops and things. It's quite funny watching some of the old Bathurst footage and all of a sudden, what the hell was I doing that for, you know? Um, it's it's quite an interesting era, era through that, that whole period sort of thing, but it, um, you know, set me you know, up the way I am now sort of thing. As far as work ethic and everything goes, you know that you can get some results with working pretty hard and um, I've never been sort of shy of that, so it sort of stuck. What was the camaraderie like? Because... You guys were there, Yoki's were there, 
Um, I'm not sure if Dunlop were, but you even had some uh, some guys running some weird stuff like Goodyears and yes. things like that. So what was the camaraderie like amongst you tyre guys? Was there a rivalry or was it just a bit of banter? Oh, no, it was rivalry, absolutely. Um, uh, the, the, the bridge the other day, we had the wood on the Yokohama. Uh, once they got off the GTR and onto the Commodore and everything um, with Fred's team, um, you know, we, we, we had a, a very, very good tie there. The Dunlop was always very, very good at Bathurst. Um, that type of scenario, you know, it was, it was serious hard work and it was competition, but, you, you know, you, re, you respect the other guys and I ended up working for them, God help me, you know. Like, it's it's just one of those things that was never say never. It was no different to Lounsey going from Holden to Ford and everyone thought, God, you know, what's going on here? But, you know, Brock went from Holden to, to a Sierra sort of thing and then you know, people couldn't believe he'd be driving other cars. It's just that thing, you know, it's just, it gets a bit tribal. But, um, you know, you, you sort of respect the opposition. You, you, you never know where you're going to be tomorrow sort of thing and uh, everything, but I sure as hell enjoyed beating them. <laughs> and then you mentioned about using uh, manual machines to change it. When did you know? When did technology come into the tyre fitting game at a racetrack? Yeah, it was sort of. It got to the stage where um, you know we had to, to ramp things up. So sort of mid nineties, things started getting a lot more professional. Um, you know, teams had proper transporters and not rocking up with panel vans and trailers on the back or. You know, early days of driving the race car to the racetrack, you know, and tying them on A-frames and all sorts of things, you know. And it, it's that type of scenario, but it, it just got a lot more professional, especially once the supercars era started, once um, Tony Cochran came on board and Wayne Caddick. Um, it was um, a significant change, um, which was lucky for me in the, um, the, the early days of, of my career, I guess you'd say, with doing things... Um, you know, a bit lot more professional. You know, the Bridgestone thing was they were just getting ready to, to ramp up in um, in IndyCar racing through the Firestone brand um, with F1. Um, it, it certainly got um, a lot more professional around sort of, you know, 94, 5 thereabouts that it, it, the game really stepped up. And I imagine that once it became a single tyre uh, series, that's when the whole logistics of tyres changed because rather than four trucks coming to service, what is it, 32 cars back then? It's one truck coming to service 32 cars. Yeah, it did. It, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, all of a sudden we got, it was quite late in the 90s that Bridgestone got their first um, semi-trailer. You know, we were just using an old fridge van, actually, uh, carting things around with a couple of machines and a compressor in the back and a air-operated crane. It was, um, you sort of sit, look back now and think, how the hell did we ever do that, you know? But it, it did the job at the time, and you just lock a lot of things. It's, you know, you just do what you've got to do. And, you know, we, we've got a significant change coming um, for next year. Um, it's no secret that you know we've uh, uh, not officially signed on yet, but we've uh, we've extended our uh, contract to through to the end of 2024 and everything. And um, with the changes for the teams, only bringing one set of used practice tyres to, to you know run, roll out the garage and warm the car up on, we're going to have a significant increase in the amount of tyres we're taking to the races. Um, um, Bathurst next year is going to be massive. You know we'll have um, three B doubles. Um, going to the racetrack, it's it's a big logistical operation now. You know, you're, you're talking sort of you know upwards of sixteen thousand tyres a year. Uh, there's still another two of us sort of full time, but um, we've uh, we're going to have a, a good crew. We've got a good bunch of guys that uh, can get in and do. The, you know, we've got a good relationship with all the all the 
teams and everything to get in and get the job done and um, and uh, not hold people up when they're trying to pack up on Sunday night and we're ripping all the tyres off and we have a, a shakedown of that every year at, at uh, Pukekohe when we do that for the flyaway races so uh, just a matter of uh, getting the systems in place and, and locking them down and just making everybody's life easy you know it's uh, it's not easy but it can be done. How many people are working in your Dunlop garage nowadays at a at a typical weekend we're here at the bend when we're talking and how many guys do you have here? How many tyre changing machines and, and the like? Just for the your average sprint round type thing, we've only got the four machines because you, you, that way you're doing a set of you've got four guys fitting. You've got you're doing a set of you know, at each time you, you've you know, got one come in sort of things with four machines. So you do um, a tyre a minute. It's a set a minute sort of thing. So you can roll them out the door pretty quick when you've got plenty of wheels uh that's the problem at the moment a lot of the teams don't have plenty of wheels uh just at the minute um and uh it's not only the cost of the rim there's got the tire pressure monitoring system in there is as expensive as a wheel well time you put the valve in it and the the, the blank off plug and everything it's uh they're they're um you know you're looking at twelve hundred dollars now per wheel with a with a sensor in it so um the teams aren't uh, waste, not necessarily wasting a lot of money, but it's just a resource that they uh, can spend the money in a better area than spending four grand or nearly five grand on a set of wheels, you know. Um, so it's that type of scenario. Luckily, with the endurance races, they tend to ramp up a little bit and then roll them into the following year. But uh, hopefully, um, that'll continue. The bigger races, we have six machines, more guys. I have um, traditionally uh, someone on the uh, the bead breaker, Steve, our truck driver, um, sits on that. He uh, keeps the, the, the guys supplied. He, he can you know, f- feed the four machines. If you've got too many people in there, you end up tripping over each other. It just keeps the flow process working really well. Um, we've got to work with supercars and uh, get onto the, um, uh, the the scheduling and things like that just to make sure there's enough time between practice sessions and qualifying and all that sort of stuff to do what we've got to do. So in general, um, we're ahead of the game, but uh, there are the odd times. If the weather's inclement and everything, you can get slammed pretty hard. And is it the same crew of guys moving around the country with you or do you pick up locals at every round? Yeah, we. I've got um, I've got a core group of guys that um, that we we do draw on for the for the bigger events. But um, here this weekend at the Bend, I've actually got three new guys. Um, uh, Aaron, that's with me full time, is uh, is looking after them. And we've got two MEGT apprentices um, that are working for us this weekend that come through the Bow Repair stores because uh, we own them um, from the company point of view. And um, it, it's a great experience for them to come along and try the hand. And we, we've found some really really good guys out of that and everything. So you've got your core group that uh, that do the big races and and next year um we'll sort of certainly be ramping up um with the uh, you know taking the core group of, of guys to the, the racetracks to um service what's going to be a very very busy year now we mentioned your skill set your professional training as a motor mechanic you're now very much a manager and having to manage a whole bunch of issues budgets inventory all the uh manners of accommodation and and travel how have you done any extra training or has it all been by osmosis that you've picked up these other skills uh all by luck <laughs> it's just yeah it's just it's just one of those things you just know what's got to be done and you do it you know whether it be flights and accommodation and meals and you know we we were leaving here last night driving back to the hotel in murray bridge talking about um the logistics of Sandown. Um, because Sandown uh, this year has got Melbourne Cup on the Tuesday. They've got a, a local club race meeting the weekend before. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, just lots of things of that. So you sort of tend to work a long way in advance. Um, accommodation, especially as soon as the calendar's out, you're on the phone 
locking that down and it's done. You know, you spend an hour on the phone, you've done all your accommodation for the following year. So that uh, that helps. Um, flights take care of themselves. Production schedule once um, we have our final commission meeting um, prior to the calendar coming out where everything's finally signed off and everything we know tyre numbers so I can do the production schedule for the factory, um, which, is, uh, which is all done now, which is great. Um, and then you just place your production orders accordingly sort of thing and then you've got to keep eye on shipping schedules and get the things off the wharf and bring them into the warehouse and all that sort of stuff and then make sure you've got everything for the next race meeting. So people say, what do you do between races? Trust me, there is plenty to do between race meetings, you know. And we, um, we got back... Um, from, from Townsville and literally the day after we got back we had the um, the, the Bathurst tyres arrive in the door so it's three 40 foot containers um, uh, that was away the following weekend uh, got back the, the, the Monday morning and then we loaded three containers to go to New Zealand and then the Gold Coast tyres arrived in on the Tuesday and Wednesday you know so it's it's that type of scenario there is always something going on um, back of the warehouse that uh, we sort of uh, work it in a way sort of thing that we try and uh, you know get a day off towards the end of the week sort of thing so you, you know the Aaron's fantastic at just uh, ripping in, get the job done, and um, and uh, we can sort of have some downtime towards the end. But don't get a lot of time at home, but you make the most of what you do have. And I imagine you have to have a pretty accommodating family to understand that your life is, you know, living and breathing around black things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's incredibly tough on families, you know. It's... Uh, no doubt in the world they uh, they suffer. So uh, when you can get the frequent family points, you certainly uh, make the most of it. Sort of in the, when you do get the downtime. Well, I sort of wonder if the uh, wide-eyed boy helping his brother at Rolly Park ever thought he would be worrying about customs forms and shipment lodgings in 2020. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a long run. I actually bumped into somebody. It's, it's funny coming back here. Last year I, at, at the bend, I bumped into some old Speedway people that I used to uh, hang out with and everything and uh, had, a, had a guy come up this morning that I used to work with and just sort of said, you know, wow, you've come a long way from um, doing the tyres at John Collins Transport when I was at Bridgestone doing a road service fitting job and everything. And it's uh, it's been an interesting road. You know, we've got a long way to go yet sort of deal. We've uh, another five years and, uh, you know, we've, we've done the 250,000th control tyre for Dunlop now. We did... Uh, Twenty odd thousand for, for for Bridgestone, and um, you know it's uh, it she'd be getting up there. She'd be well and truly up around the half a million now over the over the time. So I've picked a few up and put them down over the years, but um, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. And I've always said the day I walk out the front of the garage at Adelaide and see that grandstand full of people on the Saturday, and and the hairs on the back of your neck don't stand up, I know it's time to you know move on, sort of deal. But uh, you still get the buzz and still get the enjoyment and coming to new venues like this and you know all different things to look forward to. It's uh, it's still good. Kevin, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Cheers, thank you. After the break, our final thoughts on this week's Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as best Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside Supercars. This is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. It's certainly uh, all interesting, the way in which ZB has been reconfigured for Bathurst. Now they uh, Holden teams feel that they're on 
a more even footing with the Ford Mustang and the Nissan. It's certainly uh, going to be interesting to watch. Um, Kevin, your Kevin, Craig, your final thoughts on uh, Inside Supercars this week. Well, my final thought is that we now have our first 10-year driver deal with David Reynolds, and I had a chance to speak to him earlier in the week about that signing. Joining us this week on Inside Supercars is the host, or one of the hosts, of Below the Bonnet podcast, David Reynolds. Great to have you on the show, David. Oh, thanks, mate. I wouldn't say I'm a host. I'm just along for the ride. Yeah, Caruso really does like to run that show with an iron fist, doesn't he? Yeah, no, he does a really good job. Really, really good job. I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, he he's only racing a couple of times a year and he does all, all these other things, so I'm glad he sort of devotes a lot of time and effort towards it. So, you know, it's going really good. I'm surprised. And, like, a lot of people come and talk to you about it, which is what you want. And it's Dave Reynolds unfiltered. You get to say whatever you want to say. Yeah, to a point, I say what I want to say, but obviously I can't say everything I want to say, which is... But I try and do it as best I can. But, um, yeah, so why we started that, I'll just explain that for a second. See, problem with our sport, supercars, everyone loves it, or we love it, and we only race once every two or three weeks, and there's a lot of, like, gaps in between that we have to fill to keep the sport interesting. And this is one of the ideas we come up with to try and... Um, inside a lot of conversation and get people talking when it's not race week. So, you know, I think it's ticking the box. But you have had a long interest in podcasts, haven't you? Um, yeah, yeah. I I started the one with um, Fox Motorsport one. Mm. We started that in, was it 16, I think? It would have been around there, yeah. Yeah, but I've I've been listening to them for many years now, uh, probably since about 2013. And, um, yeah, I think they're a very, very good platform. Um, it's a good way to sort of get a lot of information across. And because I listen to a lot because I live in Melbourne, the traffic's horrendous. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a good time filler. What were you listening to originally? Were you listening to, you know, the couple of supercar podcasts there were, or were you listening to, like, American football or, uh, you know, uh, Stuff You Should Know? Well, that's a very popular podcast, Stuff of course. I don't know. There's literally thousands out there. Um, I was listening to, like, health and fitness ones because um, I was big into it back then, and, and Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan experience as well. He's got a lot of cool different guests on and a lot of variety, so and he's funny. Now, a lot of people don't realise or know about you, but you do love the documentaries too, and you do watch a few documentaries. Uh, yeah, I go through phases all the time. Um, I'm really into space and time and all that sort of weird jazz. And I love documentaries on you know, telling good stories about, I don't know, conspiracy stuff or space and time or anything really. I, yeah, I tend to lose myself a bit in that. <laughs> but myself and um, Daniel Cominco always talk about documentaries all the time. Interestingly, though, what you have uh, done over the last week or so is certainly locked yourself into a space for a time, 10 years at Erebus. Uh, yeah, I've done it. I think it's the first ten-year driving contract, full-time driving contract in the sport, which is which is awesome for myself and great for the team because 
Um, you know, there's many reasons why I did it, but long and the short of it is, um, you know, I I don't like doing like negotiating myself. I don't. I'm not very good at it. Um, there's too much emotion involved in my in my job and what I do, and that I love it too much. So, you know, people could literally pay you nothing to do it and probably still do it. I'd have to get another job somewhere else. But um, there's that side of it. Um, when I first joined the team, no one, no driver wanted to go to that team. You know, everyone was leaving, so it's really good for, on their behalf to sign it just find someone for an extremely long time. Um, I love creating stories for the sport, so, you know, this is one good story for the sport, I think. Um, yeah, it's been very well received, you know, I, um, and, I, and you know, I'm very, very happy at this team. You know, we get along. I get along with everyone there so well. Um, we have good results. We've basically built a team from scratch into, you know, a very good race-winning team, and I've got a lot of pride and joy being involved in the process. And now you've got stability, which is something that can make you uh, even more focused and also probably a bit more confident about it's not about week-to-week race results. It's not about where you finish at the end of the year necessarily. Um, And so that that, that pressure to go hand to mouth almost like for meals isn't isn't going to be there you can just focus on the job and not on the long and the long game um well yeah i always like i'd rather play the long game than the short game the long game is a lot more beneficial for both parties um i always talk about compound interest and compound interest only works the longer you play it the better results you get and the easier it becomes whether it it's anything from friendships to investments to business or anything like that. So I'm in the same spot. And um, why would I leave a team that we're just starting to see the success of our or fruits of our labour um, a few years in? And I want to continue it. So yeah, I'm thoroughly. In, I can't wait. I, it it sort of doesn't take the pressure off because you know we literally live uh, one race at a time, and that's our results, and that's how we feel based on those results. So. You know, on the weekend wasn't wasn't that good, but um, you know, and that's how I feel. I feel like I've I'm missing something um, if I don't really perform or something goes wrong or yeah. So at right now, I'm kind of feel like I'm a bit down because even though I had I end up third on Saturday and then the DNF or like 16 laps down on the Sunday, that's that was my last race. So 16 laps down is how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> race drivers are funny people. Now heading to Bathurst for the first round of the Pertec Cup and obviously that's a trophy that's still in dispute because it hasn't started yet. How do you yeah. how do you go about that, that job at hand? About uh, the Enduros. Hmm. Uh, the Enduros are, you know, probably the most forward part of the year I look forward to because one, they're longer races, two, they're great tracks to go to and three, I get to share my uh, job with Another person, generally, it's a good friend of mine. And, you know, the last couple of years we've had Luke Yildon. He's such a cool person to hang out with that you know, I just love love doing it with him. It's great. Uh, how do we go about winning it? Uh, just you know, stay consistent over these four races or three weekends, or whatever you want to call it, and um, make sure our car's super fast when it when it has to be. Do you and Luke talk a lot throughout the year? Are you? You know, are you the type that are catching up coffees and talking about what you're going to do 
you know, even when it's not co-driver sessions or co-driver weekends? Uh, surprisingly, I, I don't talk to him that much. You know, he's flat out busy with his uh, his stuff. I'm busy with my own stuff. But, um, yeah, I talk to him every now and again, but it's not as often as probably I'd like to. Um, you know, he's super busy, so and I'm super busy. And, you know, the world can't meet until it's probably enduro season. He probably leaves us to do our own thing. And then, but he avidly watches every race and, you know, speaks, you know, he's, he rings up what's going on every now and again. So, yeah, he's, he's a great person. Critiques your driving? Hey? He critiques your driving? But he is one of the best teachers out there. He is such a good teacher. Um, and that's what he gets paid to do, so... You know, he is, just explains stuff very well. Um, yeah, he's great at it. You've always had interesting co-drivers, haven't you? Dean, Interesting Luke. co-drivers? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had my first year in 09, I had Andy Prio, the three-time world champion at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you got kicked out of the car a couple of times too. You, you commentated at the start of a race with us one time. Uh, because you'd lost your drive. It was two years in a row, wasn't it? Cars crashed uh, no, out the, or something like that, and you ended up out of your drive? Yeah, the first year I was co-driver of 07, came a convoy and the engine expired on the warm-up lap, so that was my day done. And the next year I theoretically got sick after Radisic had that massive shunt and broke his legs in, at the top of the mountain and the throttle jammed. Um, and he, well, Rick Kelly was in that car and they replaced Paul, they replaced me and Paul Dumbrell's car with Rick Kelly because Rick was part of the championship. I wasn't, understandably. So my first real year of Bathurst was 09. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year I was with Will Davison. Then I had Blanchard and then Dean Cantor and then um, Craig Baird and Luke Hilton. Those are all the two drivers I've ever had. <laughs> and quite a, quite a number of interesting cats there too. Oh, actually, besides, besides that, I've had um, the international guys. I've had Tagliani and Nick Heinfeld. So, yeah, I've had a, a range of different personalities and people, but, you know, always done really well with them. Like, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just my, my personality, um, but I, I try and get along with everyone, you know. I get along with 99% of people I meet, and I always see the positive side of people and, and work with that. Yeah. Well, Dave, congratulations. I, I, I'm personally just hoping that your 10-year deal came along with the same sort of paycheck that uh, AFL star Buddy Franklin got, which is supposedly a million dollars a year. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. But obviously you won't be running a second job for the next 10 years all going well. No, um, not at all. Um, this is... This has given me good stability in my life, and I love stability, and I hate change, and that's probably why also I've done the 10-year deal as well. I don't, I hate change. I've lived on the same street for 15 years, basically. I don't like, I like, I like I'm a homebody, I'm a pretty simple human, and this kind of just adds to the personality that I am. And um, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to making my team one of the greatest in pit lane. Well, Dave, we're looking forward to seeing how you and Luke go at Bathurst. And kicking off with Bathurst, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, actually, when it first got announced, I didn't really think much of it. Um, but as it's got closer, it's gotten a lot weirder. Because normally we would have had sand down by now and understand all our, you know, crossing our T's and dotting our I's and all the little 1% things that we have to do for Bathurst to 
to ensure we have a good day, and we don't have that yet. We're, we've got a test day coming up, um, and we're going to do a, a whole bunch of driver changes and all that stuff. So it's it's very, very funny time, very yeah. odd. Yeah, and uh, the reason was because they wanted to save on f- uh, save money on freight, and they were going to ship the cars over, but my understanding is the cars still flew over. So they dropped sand in 500, so they could see freight the cars, and then they ended up flying them anyways. That's my understanding. You probably know more than me. Uh, yeah, they flew them over, um, but I'm not sure. I think there was a few different reasons they wanted to move sand down um, into a better weather and all that stuff. So they put it at the end of the year, which makes sense. But yeah. also, I don't know. There's many different reasons they do things, but it just feels weird. That's all. I can't comment whether it's better or worse. It just feels different. No. And obviously, they always had the plan to get tail and bend to the 500, and it was going to be the intro race anyway. So uh, they they eventually had to make a move. It was just when. Yes. It was probably set up like that. Well, I'll tell you what it's like at the end of the year. (laughs) That's right. When you're holding the Pertec Cup, you're not going to care which uh, which order the races are in. Exactly. I'd actually rather win the Hard Charger Award that they're putting out as well. It actually, actually pays you money with a perfect, with that bucket of bolts trophy doesn't give you anything. Always chasing the dollars. Always looking at the uh, the lease. The bottom line. She's the bottom. She's the business. David, great to talk to you and uh, wish you all the best for the upcoming no, rounds. Thanks, Craig. You're a legend. And this week's Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.